Ko Matariki, te tohu o te tau. E te iwi whakapiri mai, whakatata mai. No mai hoki mai anō ki te ahikā, ko maraia rakuraku tēnei. Another week, another te ahikā. And the lineup is looking pretty spectacular. Again, the focus is on Matariki. I check out one of the many offerings te papa has for its visitors on a school tour of the Star Lab. But before that... Three different stories from three distinct nations coming together as one. What could possibly link them all? Well, according to the Honouring Theatre Festival Coordinator, Amanda Hediaka, a shared Indigenous experience. Buck Shelford talks with Charlie Leaf about his recent cancer scare, while some fans have their say about the former All Black. And what do the Wombles, dance exponents and the Platters have in common? Well, Eteiwi, they have all played some part in the musical shaping of Ariana Tikal. We'll have more of her later in the programme. Te Papa, the museum in Wellington, really embraces Matariki, holding events throughout the month of June. One of them, the Star Lab, is so popular with whānau, there are often repeated visits, and I'm not surprised. It's pretty cool. I tagged along with the Māori unit of Newtown School earlier this week. E whakaaro tonu kāriro ka haere tātou. Toi toi ngoa. Rawari. Rawari. Kia ora Rawari. Koi toi ngoa. He pai. He pai. Ko Ronan. Ko Ronan toi ngoa. Kia ora tira. Ko koriro ke. Ko te tīmatanga o... Te tauhau Māori. Engare, he tohu mo te tīmatanga o te wā, hia tēnei wā. Hia tēnei wā o te tau. Ko anga? Hia tēnei wā. Hia te āhua te wā. Makarere. Nō reira, ko tēnei te wā, e aki e tahi makarere, e aki e tahi atu. I'm a program developer here at Te Papa, an education program developer. Ko Matariki te tīmatanga o te wā hōtoke. Ko mutu, raumati, ko mutu, nahuru, ko tēnei te āmuri te wā makariri, hiaha te wā o te tau. Nā kararehe ki te whānau pēpe, hiaha te ingoa. Ko, ko anga, ai, tika tau, ka pai koutou. Nō reira, ko tēnei te wā, mō tātou ki te whakaaro e pāna ki o tātou pīrangitanga mō te tauhau. Hiaha tō tātou tūmanako, hiaha nā mea kei te pīrangitātou ki te whakatika, whakapai mō te tauhau. Kei te pīrangiahau ki te... 
takaro te raku raku. So this program that they have at Te Papa for the Tamariki, is that just for schools or is that for anybody to learn about Matariki? Um, the, the programs that we have here at Te Papa are mainly geared towards schools, but they're open to all ages and all levels, and we, um, we have um, classes in Te Reo Māori as, as well. Um, Matariki is open for everybody because it's a, a celebration that belongs to the country. Um, it was, it's an indigenous celebration, and we celebrate it because um, it's becoming more and more prevalent now, the understanding of it um, is a time is a natural time to celebrate the beginning of the new year because in the, in the northern hemisphere they celebrate the new year um, around the time of the winter solstice at, this, at the shortest time of the year and winter is a logical time for humanity to celebrate um, and to reflect and to think forward and it's also a, a logical time for the, with the crops have been harvested for people to um, have prepared and put things away in storage. So it's a logical time to start preparing for the future in times of change now with technology. So we talk about that time in a con- contextualised way, but also drawing on some of the old stories. Mākue kōrero ki a koutou, mā koutou e awhiau, ki te mahi, tēnei, pakiwaitara, he tūmomo whakāre, mā mātou e mahi. Nō reira, tango mai tō pūkoro, he tūmomo pōtai o te tangata kai whakāre. Nō reira, ko koutou, tātou, nai nei, he kai whakāre. One of the ways we approach it this year, because we approach it differently each year, is through drama. And that's to try and engage, especially the younger kids, with the idea of drama as retelling stories and holding information um, in lots of contexts. And in this particular instance, it's Matariki, the, con- the context of um, the Māori stories. <laughs> At the moment, the children, um, our story this year that we thought we would teach all of the schools that came for our Matariki program is a starfisher story from the far north. So in the story, there were seven fish uh, playing in the ocean. Their mother said to them, um, be careful what you do today because Tatarai Maka goes fishing. Tatarai Maka was an ogre with a huge net that he had made out of special flax from Spirits Bay. Uh, at the end of the day, Tatarai Maka uses his net to catch those seven fish in it. Um, the fish start crying. Tani hears them crying, grabs the net and throws it up into the sky and turns those seven fish into stars. Now, according to that tra- tradition, the names of the stars are Tohiti, Toheta, Waipunarangi, Tupuanuku, Tupuarangi. Ururangi, and one of the stars is left with no name for any child to be able to put their name as being the seventh star. Um, the generic names that most of our people know, um, they may not know Tohiti, Toheta, but they do know Waiti, Waita. So this is um, where you get the children to act out the story. Um, 
whether it's in English or Te Reo Māori, and this is part of their learning about some of the traditions that uh, we have lost over the years with regard to Matariki itself and how those stars get up in the heavens. Over the years we have done the story about uh, how we believe that they are the eyes of seven chiefs who the gods thought to honour by placing in the sky, and another story says that Matariki is a mother and her children. Um, we used to tell a Cook Island story that spoke about a, a beautiful star shining in the sky and a lake who fell in love with that star, um, got the sun to dry it up to hide the star from Tani, who was jealous of that star's beauty. Tani still found that star and smashed it into seven pieces. So that's a Cook Island story. We try each year to add in um, not only uh, our tikanga Māori with regard to Matariki, but at times some of the stories from other cultures who also celebrate the rising of this constellation. So you must love kids, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually quite fun teaching them here because we don't have to deal with the everyday kind of issues that kids have. You know, sure. we, we just, they're, they're nicely prepared for us and we just have fun and it's really great. And then they go off. It's like being a grandparent, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's Get lots them for of fun. a bit and then they're yeah. off. Yeah, and I've had lots of fun here. We have the drama component first, and then we take them into our star lab, and that's really the hook. That's the the wow factor. In the Star Lab, you end up, so we enter the room, which is dark, it's a dome, and then we all sit around the outskirts of the dome and look up into the and look upwards, and there are all the stars. Yeah, the stars that we are looking at are the stars that we see in the southern hemisphere. The thing about Matariki is that um, it, it is a seasonal thing. There are two things that the rising, or what we call the heliacal rising of Matariki does, um, and that is, one, it lets us know that it's the start of another season, and very soon it's going to be the start of the new year. Now, at the moment, we follow northern hemisphere traditions, which, uh, I mean, at uh, Christmas time, we sing songs like Jingle Bells, Dashing Through the Snow, it's not even snowing here. And it's quite correct that the start of the new year is the 1st of January because in a couple of weeks' time it's going to be the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. Once the sun, uh, the sun reaches that point, it's going to start its travel back to its summer um, position. So down here in the Southern Hemisphere, all of the countries in the Southern Hemisphere know of the rising of this particular constellation as heralding the start of the new year in this neck of the world. Now with that, uh, Matariki heralds one. It is the start of the winter season and that after the, the heliacal rising or the first outing of Matariki before the sun rises, then the next rising of the new moon is going to be the start of the new year. The interesting thing is that um, I, I've talked to a number of kui and kroa uh, around the motu and, and many of them say that they can't recall our people celebrating the new year. We celebrated the first outing of Matariki. Now this year that was the 23rd of May. Um, so Matariki had actually been up for a number of weeks now. However, 
um, with that. Uh, they said that our people used to go out on that first morning, look at whether those stars were shining brightly. If they were shining brightly, then we knew that um, we were going to be able to fill up our food storehouses quite easily, grow food, catch food, um, and do all those kinds of things. If those stars were not shining brightly, then it meant we were going to have to work a little bit harder to fill our food storehouses, our pataka kai. Um, and then following on from that, our people used to lament and remember all of those who had passed away in that year. Then they would turn and they would feast, knowing that in a few weeks' time it was going to be the start of the new year. These are some of the old traditions. The other interesting thing is that basically people on the east coast and some parts of the far north and the deep south see Matariki. Um, there are a lot of other tribes who don't. For them, Puanga or Rigel is the star that heralds the start of the new year. For um, tribes like Wanganui, Taranaki, um, those on the west coast, Mat- uh, Puanga is that. And we do have a saying that uh, Puanga is a young star that always wants to lead the year. So for some of our tribes, it is that star. Um, apparently, according to one of my queer, Rangimari Epiri from Waikaremona, we have another star for those of us in the middle of the island that heralds um, the start of the new year. But uh, each tribe has their own stories um, with regard to, to Matariki. As I say, through through some of the research I've done, a lot of that knowledge is lost, which is why we only have very few stories about how Matariki got up there. There are other stories of Tamaririti and Tane Nuiā Rangi uh, placing the stars up in the sky, but none of them directly relate to how Matariki got up there. So um, we are constantly researching... Matariki, Ka pai ko te ingo pākeha, nā tuahine tokowhitu kōrero mai. Nā tuahine Playardis kōrero mai. Playardis. Ka rawe etu. Um, this year I must uh, say kia ora roatu to uh, the kaihautu of Te Manua Museum in Palmerston North, uh, Manu Kawana. Um, it is through him that we have been able to do a lot of our um, professional development and learn about some of our tikanga as well. Last year we learnt that um, our Red Star Beetlejuice's juice's Māori name wasn't Pūtara, but Pūtātara. We then also learnt that uh, Taumatakuhu's name, we used to call it Taumatakuku, but we learnt... Uh, once again through, man, uh, through Manu that its proper name was Taumatakuhu and um, it was to do with the bōtehe or food stages that our people pre-European used to uh, set up and they say some of those food stages were about as tall as te papa uh, and Taumatakuhu is your entry level onto that food stage um, I know um, one of the images that we have supplied to the Learning Federation is of a pōtehe uh, that, that Napuhi had established way back in the early um, 1800s. So these are some of the things that we are still constantly learning and trying to keep updated with our Matariki program. Now, 
Te Papa has started its Matariki Festival. If you would like to come and try and see these stars, um, we have star lab sessions here at Te Papa on Saturdays and Sundays. At the moment, our sessions are 10.30 to 11.30 in Te Reo Pākehā and uh, 1.30 to 2.30 in Te Reo Māori. However, our first weekend, there was so much demand that extra sessions um, took place. Uh, so there is that opportunity. But these are sessions that will only cost you a gold coin to come to and you can book at our Discovery Centre um, Planet Pacifica on Level 4 um, on the day if you would like to come and attend that particular session. Uh, so there are lots of things happening here at Te Papa. Um, at the moment, right at this time now, if you're thinking about going out in the early morning to try and look to the east and be at a beach to try and find Matariki, it's going to be real hard. Um, the stars have climbed higher. We are probably at this point, you probably will not see Matariki because the sun is coming up a lot quicker now and uh, the constellation itself has started to climb higher into the sky. Now, the next best time to actually catch all of these stars, Puanga, Tautoru, Takurua, Matariki, Te Matakahiru, is actually around December and January in the night sky when they are straight above you. But at that time, they have no significance to Māori. But that is when you get the best sighting of them. So um, we have started the new year, and there are lots of things that lay ahead of us in this new year. And go onto the website, you'll get the full unplugged Newtown School experience. Bring back Buck! Bring back Buck! You don't have to be a hardcore rugby fan to recognise that chant as it echoed throughout rugby fields and sitting rooms. Kia ora, Dad. Following Buck Shelford's dropping from the All Black team in captaincy in 1990, here's what some fans, including a big one, Charlie Leaf and the man himself, have to say about that. Seeing guys going into contact like this, with their head out to the side, you're too big. You've got to make yourself small. Kath Nippy, Kia Kath. Now, now, Wayne Shelford to you. What? Buck Shelford, bring back the buck. Bring back the buck. What, what does that mean to you? Bring back well, the buck. Well, look, he was the best in his time. Yes. And when they, you know, when they booted him out, we went down, didn't we? He's got... Yeah, and he's a Māori, and you know. Yeah, he, he had it all. We joined the Royal New Zealand Navy in 1975 as boys, uh, at a tender age of 16 years. Uh, the Navy certainly helped develop, you know, both of us, or, or Buck in particular, probably physically, um, taught him leadership, and basically, how to, you know, we basically grew from boys to men. When he shook your hand, he'd break it. Serious. Serious. He's got a grip like a... Well, I can't say that. <laughs> you can say it. I can, I can cut it off. Yeah. <laughs> He's a powerful boy. Have you talked um, to Bucks? Me? Yeah. Uh, when I first... Oh, when I saw him this morning, I had to talk to him. Yeah. So the main I thing you remember is... He's still as my, like my fan. Idol. <laughs> Idol, I should say. Have you got a, a, a haka uh, for the academy? Yeah, yourself? We do. How, how does that, that haka go? How does it go? Yeah, can you do it for us, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, you, you do it for us. Okay, you're nice and loud, brother. Go move! Tarangati, Oh, no, 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 no,
Kauneita pappa! Hakkinna, hakkinna! Nineteen-year-old Luke Wewari Moses is putting almost as much energy into the haka as he earlier threw into his rugby training. And behind him, the steam is rising from his mates packing down the scrum here at the New Zealand Sports Academy in Rotorua. Every year, 25 promising young rugby players selected from all corners of the country assemble here for a gruelling 38-week development programme. One of the trainers is Buck Shalford, and it's no wonder young Luke Moses is in awe of Buck. Luke wasn't even born when Buck helped win the World Cup in 1987 and went on to be our greatest Māori all-black captain. He never lost a test. But then he was controversially dropped from the All Blacks in 1990, given birth to the slogan, Bring Back Buck. So, in a small cafe on the Takapuna beachfront, I took the opportunity to bring back Buck. Yeah, come from Rotorua, you know, born and bred in Rotorua, uh, but uh, basically come from uh, probably uh, Napui, uh, Te Arawa, and uh, Taranaki backgrounds, you know, uh, you know our bloodlines. But uh, grew up in Rotorua, left there when I was uh, 17 to come to Auckland. I didn't do too well at uh, the schooling, like many of our uh, many of our people. Um, wanted to go and just play football, really. And um, I look back now, and I wish I did get an education. But uh, you know, life is an education within itself, and uh, I think I've made up for that over the years. But with, with life skills. Um, you say life's the education within itself. What, what do you actually mean by that? Well, the travelling that I've done, you know, by the time I was, uh, probably by the time I was 24, I'd been around the world a couple of times, uh, travelling on the ships and uh, going to different countries, and, you know. Uh, that's with the New Zealand Navy, and so as that experience, and then bringing the rugby with that as well, you know, tripping around New Zealand. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's uh, go in there uh, with your, let's start with your dad. Well, I suppose he, you know, our dad encouraged us to play sport all the time. You know, he always get outside and play sport, go out and do something. And so we're out there. If we weren't working for him, you know, because we had to work for him all the time as well. What sort of work was? My dad that? was a carpenter. He was a tradesman, and so because we done, we went and worked for them on Saturday mornings. You know, if we weren't playing sport, things like that. But you know, our dad was a big, big supporter, and uh, you know, he didn't. You know, he was, I don't know, you know, he, was, he could have come to the World Cup final, but he didn't. He turned it down. He said, no, nah, I'll watch it from TV, you know. Bloody Maoris, you know what they do. He watched it on the TV, and when we won it, oh, I think my sister was telling us that you couldn't, you know, when he was actually uh, watching it on the TV, you know, we were jumping up and down, and we won it when we scored our tries and things like that. The conversion has been successful, and the game is all over. The game is all over, and the All Blacks have won this match against the French by 29 points to 9, and the All Blacks become the first holders of the William Webb Ellis Trophy, the Rugby World Cup. They are supreme in world rugby. The All Blacks have beaten France in the final. But then when you go and talk to him about it, oh, yes, son, yeah, it was not bad, you know. Real nonchalant, and, you know. But in deep down inside, he would have been proud, you know, proud of New Zealand, but proud of the, um, the football as well, you know, of me as a footballer. 
Now, Dad, um, obviously, he was a strong um, part of your life. Um, you know, when he uh, sadly passed away, did that affect you at all? Uh, not really, because, you know, it was 10 years ago now, 12 years ago. It's always sad to lose your, your, your parents. And saying as uh, he was getting on a bit, you know, and we didn't know he had an illness. You know, and saying as, you know, from the time we found out to the time he died, it was only three weeks. So it's, uh, you know, he had, a, he had cancer. But could you say that there was the same with my dad? They, they were very different generation. They wouldn't, they didn't want to hurt their children so much. Uh, is, is that fair to say? Well, not so much. I wouldn't say hurt their children, but just the idea of telling them that you were going to die. You know, they didn't want to do that to you. And so is, it's totally different today. You know, and so is, uh, maybe if, if we would have known about it earlier, we could have done something about it. But our people of that time didn't want to go to the doctors. Well, they couldn't afford to go to doctors, you know. Um, so, you know, it's still like that today, you know. Yeah, let's uh, stay with that, co-papa. Um, now, cancer yourself, um, how, how are you bearing up yourself with, with the oh, yeah, uh, disease? No, my, my health is good. Uh, you know, I had a clearance last November, but I've got to be monitored for the next five years, you know. But you never know, it could come back. You know, it might never come back at all. You just don't know, um, you know. It, it was tough, you know, it was a tough year last year, but it's not just because of my health, but, you know, I lost an uncle and auntie on my, my mother's side, and then I also lost a, my mother-in-law and my, 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 my wife's auntie on, on my wife's side, so it was a tough year, you know. Um, but notwithstanding that, you know, you, gotta, you get through these, you get, you know, you get, uh, you dig deep and the family comes closer together and you, you know, you felt like we're going to hooey after hooey last year, you know, uh, just, just to bury people. You know, I, you know, I wasn't one of those, but I had my illness, and it went on for about six or seven months. But uh, now, I'm, you know, I've had that tick. I've been cleared, but it's just going back every every three months, check up and pictures every six months, and just working through that those issues all the time. And so, thing is, knowing that I've had it, you know, just trying to look after myself a lot better, making sure my diet's a lot better. But sometimes, you know, you go overboard in certain things. And so, thing is, but it's still about living. You know, your priorities probably change slightly. Um, you don't work as hard, you know, you're going to spend as much time with your kids as possible. As my, I just said to my wife, come on, let's go, we'll go overseas, go back overseas coaching or something like that. And, um, and you say, oh, yeah, let's go. As soon as those mokos turn up, man, we'll be going nowhere. You know, she wants to be here to be here with her for her mokos. Yeah. yeah. Look, um, and so what would be your message to all our people out there in, um, in Aotearoa, you know, if this sort of disease comes their way? Well, it's not just, not just, there's so many different types of cancer. Um, you know, I'm just fronting the campaign at the moment for prostate cancer for our men. And uh, it's, it's a type of cancer that creeps up on you and kills you. And uh, it can be detected quite easily uh, by, you know, blood tests. They test the proteins and they can test. It was not conclusive, but the other test for the prostate cancer is, um, is uh, you know, the finger up the backside and and they actually touch the, um, they feel the um, prostate itself and see if it's got any lumps on it and that sort of jazz and if they find that, chances are you've got it. Um, and so is the statistics for Māori are, are twice as bad as what they are for our European counterpart. Any particular reason why, Buck? Well, you know, they put it down to many of our Māori people just do not go to the doctor to get checked. You know, the, the macho, the staunchness about the arm or right, you know, but then it's too late. You, it's, the statistics up north, up uh, up north from you know Farai North, are horrific in regards to our statistics for health for men especially, 
and saying is, you know, there's a lot of widows up there because their men are dying between the age of 40 and 50, which is really, really sad because, you know, our kids are growing up without their fathers. And saying is, you know, our grandkids don't have grandfathers. And it's all because we don't go and get checked early. And, uh, you know, is it the cost? Well, you know, when it comes to health, when it comes to health, your health is worth more than anything, especially when it comes to the whanau. We want to see our we want to see our, our dads end up on the pie on the on the marae, you know working on the marae and being our our, our tutors for our, our youngsters uh, our leaders and uh, you know we went through a time I suppose after the Second World War where we lost a lot of our youngsters and that we lost the whole generation as a lot of our, our old people say now we lost a generation there well we're losing another generation now because of that same reason because of health statistics. And it's not just cancer, it's diabetes, it's heart problems, overweight problems, you know, it's dietary problems. And so, you know, if we can do one thing to, to help ourselves, uh, just help ourselves first before we help, you know, our children, just look after our own health, look after our own diet, you know. Diabetes is a killer as well, and it's all to do with diet, you know. Uh, you know, we know we eat a lot of the wrong foods, and so, but we still eat it, you know. The processed foods are killers. Kia ora kōrua. Ko Charlie Leaf nor Napuhi talking with Bakwan Shelford nor Napuhi Metearoa, and I'm Maria Rakuraku. Hoki maya no atira wiki. Next week, Charlie talks again with Buck Shelford about his time in the Navy and hopes for his Fano as he reflects on his rugby career. Bringing together the writings of Indigenous from Canada, Australia and Aotearoa New Zealand was the impetus for the Honouring Word Festival in 2002 and what gave a couple of people the idea to set up a similar festival for theatre in 2004. Those people being Sam Cook from Yurayakin, Adelaide Performing Arts Market, playwright Yvette Nolan, native Earth Canada and the Takirua Artistic Director at the time, Amanda Hiriaka. So, many meetings, the initial one in Perth, conference calls, sleepless nights and funding applications later, we have it. Honouring Theatre. So the basic idea is to not only create a pathway for um, presenting Indigenous theatre, but also offer the opportunity for exchange, not only at an artistic level, but also in a management level, because we discovered as the um, artistic directors of each company how much we had in common and uh, even though Takirua had great uh, relationships with other professional theatres in New Zealand there's uh, some unique problems and issues that uh, you're confronted with as an indigenous company that you know other people just don't face and suddenly coming up with two other women that in their daily um, dealings would would come across the same problems was amazing so just talking about whether we could make this work was um, was huge so I could see the immense value it would have for um, bringing these artists to New Zealand um, not only for for audiences to, to have the opportunity to see Indigenous stuff. I mean, Australia's just across the ditch and we never, never see their no, work. No, we don't. Not, not even, uh, I mean, even Aboriginal stuff. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> and the fact that we can see Canadian stuff as well. Um, so that, for audiences, is great. But also I wanted to bring um, the management side over just so we could talk about how we do run Indigenous theatre companies and stay true to, you know, 
to being Indigenous. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you had that meeting in 2004, and then how long did it take until a production got up and running? Uh, The first leg took place in Canada in 2006. It was a pretty ambitious tour. It was uh, six weeks throughout Canada. I think they did four centres um, (laughs) and a lot of travel because Canada is a big, big place. Um, But from all accounts, it was pretty successful in terms of audiences. Um, The New Zealand piece that went over was Frangipani Perfume, so uh, the PI community represented, which was Troy. That's the piece that was written by Makarita Urali. I, yep. Um, and the Australian piece was a play called uh, Windmill Baby, and the Canadian piece was Annie May's Movement, which is the only piece which is coming to New Zealand out of that original tour. So, yeah, so it was pretty exciting. And then... Um, I left Takirua to have a baby, <laughs> as you do, and um, Takirua uh, couldn't take up the opportunity to present um, Honouring Theatre this year, so I decided that I'd put my hand up and uh, and host host these nations because, yeah, as I said, the experience I had in 2004 was incredible, so, you know, I just wanted to share that, share the love with everyone and... Um, and host host these nations in New Zealand. The next stage is um, after uh, honouring Theatre Aotearoa, they uh, all hop on a plane and head to Perth for two weeks. So they're performing in the city of Perth, and then they're heading out to the Kimberleys, which would be amazing wow. to perform in. Yeah. It's like almost coming full circle yeah. again, eh? Yeah, yeah, completely. Yep. So tell me about the pieces. Um, the first piece uh, is Annie May's Movement, uh, by Yvette Nolan. She is the artistic director of Native Earth and a playwright, and she also directed the play. Uh, this piece is a, hist- oh, I'm going to say this in inverted commas, a historical piece. Um, it looks at the uh, death of um, Annie May, who was the first uh, female warrior for the American Indian the movement. movement, AIM movement. Yeah, yeah. in the 1970s. Yep. And uh, she was found. Um, the initial autopsy um, found dead. Uh, the initial autopsy said that she uh, had died of exposure, and then they did a second um, autopsy <laughs> and found that she actually died of a in the head. You know, how you can get those confused, I'm not too sure. Um, but it's, uh, it, it should be really interesting because um, one, one um, aspect of it is the FBI raiding the reservation that she was working on, which I thought had a lot of resonance with what happened uh, last year. And when they raided the, the, um, the reservation, because this is all tied in with the Leonard Peltier Peltier stuff and uh, the wounded knee occupation and the death of the FBI agents and she was all and she was involved in that That's and right. every um, and a lot of the the books that have been written around that time she features quite strongly in them. Well, she was an amazing woman, an amazing woman. So this is a I guess a fictional treatment of those um, years that she was involved in AIM. So Yvette's kind of taken, I guess, artistic licence, because no one really knows what happened, um, apart from the fact that, you know, she was pressured by the FBI to inform on um, the Aimsters, and uh, the Aimsters then looked at Annie May and said, is it you that's been, you know, are you the rat? So the the whole question of the play is who actually killed her. Was it AIM or was it 
was it the FBI? So fascinating play. Yeah. Um, and it's a two-hander. <laughs> so there's uh, one woman, Michelle St. John, who plays Annie Mae, and then, um, oh gosh, the Graham Merck uh, plays the other characters. So um, I think there's about mm, maybe 10, 12 other characters within the play that... Uh, he does, so poor man. But there's, um, I've seen the DVD of it, and there's great uh, shadow puppets and, you know, like the wolf, which features um, heavily in um, Native American mythology, uh, as well as um, things that I've, I've just been reading, the education pack, actually, and um, Annie Mae's costume is she's actually wearing a ghost shirt, which uh, symbolises her death. And, uh, and in the opening scene, there's this huge, long piece of uh, red silk, which... Um, not only symbolises her death, but uh, talks about the uh, long red road, which was the road to sobriety and other, um, I guess, uh, I guess the co-papa of the AIM movement is all embodied in that uh, red road as well. So, so that's Annie May's movement from Canada. Uh, the Australian piece is called "I Don't Want to Play House." I don't want to play exactly. House. <laughs> yep, <laughs> for all you country fans. <laughs> Was it Tammy Wynette? I think it was. So uh, this is Tammy Anderson, and um, this play was... It's an autobiographical play about her um, childhood in Tasmania. Now, uh, she's half Aboriginal and half Australian. It's kind of, uh, you know, one of those typical stories that I think people will relate to, or maybe just me because I had lots of cousins that lived like this, you know, lived in lots of houses, her mother had lots of partners. Uh, uh, you know, and the abuse that she suffered. Now, it all sounds really depressing and miserable when I put it that way, but um, the play's actually really uplifting and really humorous in the way that Australians are. You well, know? Or in the way that Indigenous people well, yes, are. Exactly. You can <laughs> just find humour in yeah. the most blackest yeah. of situations. Well, this is exactly the case. You know, it, she goes to some pretty dark places, and but, you know, the fact that she's standing up on stage... Um, talking about her family now and, you know, all the things she's got through. It, it's just amazing. So as I said, it's a really uplifting and funny funny story. Um, she originally produced this work, I think, in the start of the millennium, and she's been touring around, you know, she's been to the Cork Festival in Ireland, she's been to the States, she's been to Manila. So um, this piece has been around for a long time, and, you know, she still loves performing it every day. So it's just her and a guitar, and um, the interesting thing about this one is that it's uh, also uh, has uh, it's framed by um, country and western songs, so um, you know each phase of her life. There's stand a different... by your man. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know all those standards. So, mm. which is a nice segue to um, Hereo Aroha, which is also um, features music this time, love songs, um, <laughs> popular in Māoridom, um and original compositions, um, and it's pretty much a love story. Now, so, who wrote that one? Uh, Midia George and Jamie McCaskill. So that's a really interesting. Interesting um, way in which they're writing. Um, they've written the first scene and the last scene together, but uh, because it's about, I guess, the relationship of these two, of um, Kaya and Pasco, uh, they've been able to write their separate pieces separately <laughs> and bring them together, so linking it in with the music. Now, it's unusual though, isn't it? Because all three pieces don't play on the same evening? No, I really, really wanted them to because I wanted people to get the experience of all three. But 
they're just all slightly too long, so you'd end up being there till midnight, you know, standing at six and being there till midnight. So what we've done instead is um, put them on uh, different nights. So... um, and during the day, they'll be performing uh, to secondary school students. Um, it's still very tight for them to perform. So, yeah, they're all on, on separate nights and during the day performing to secondary school students, which is great because we managed to get funding for um, Bay of Plenty and Auckland students to attend the performances for free, which is great. You know, how often do you get to see international theatre for free? So a big thank you to all our funders and supporters for um you know, allowing these students the opportunity to participate in this festival that way. Okay, so there are three nations coming together, three Indigenous peoples. How is it that, as the host nation, you're ensuring that the Manuhiri become mana whenua during the time that they're here? Uh, That's a very good question. Uh, I... I am taking them home to Rotorua for a start. (laughs) I uh, didn't want to bring... um, I didn't want to bring Indigenous peoples here and not go home. Um, and I knew from past experience that uh, um, our families in Rotorua will be able to, you know, because that's what they do, welcome people with open arms. So um, not on their first night um, staying in Aotearoa, but on their second night we're going to a marae, and we're going to have a noho marae, and they're going to get the full-on experience of... Uh, a marae experience. Yes, exactly, which um, <laughs> might freak them out a little bit, but, uh, you know, Katie Pye, that's what it's all about. Um, it's an interesting question because um, I know that, um, you know, song for the Aboriginal people is, is very sacred, whereas for us, you know, it, what it's, it's, what, it's what we do. <laughs> so in terms of how... Um, how each nation responds is going to be interesting. We're also talking about um, peoples whose language and quite often culture has, you know, they've forgotten about it. When I was in um, Perth in 2004 and I got up and said my mihi, everyone cried, um, just because, you know, they don't have their language and they don't even think about um, doing that sort of stuff. So I think it's going to have quite a profound effect on them, actually, Um Coming to a place where, um, gosh, you know, even our newsreaders uh, use Te Reo Māori, I think is going to be a real shock for them, actually. Um, yeah. So, first of all, we're um, welcoming them properly at home. <laughs> um, and uh, we've also got a kaumatua um, on our team as well. Plus, I've got uh, various uncles who are looking looking after me and making sure I'm doing my job properly as well to to ensure that these guests are looked after and you know their safety is number one. Honouring Theatre is performing in Rotorua at the Soundshell, which is a great little venue on the lakefront, uh, from the 16th to the 19th of June, and then we're heading to Manukau. And we're performing in a big theatre called the Telstra Pacific. Uh, it's one Telstra just Key by Rambo's in there. Right, that's it. Um, and and uh, the movies. <laughs> so uh, Telstra Clear Pacific Centre um, on Great South Road. So uh, And that's from the 22nd to the 26th of June. So, yeah. Sounds exciting. Yeah, it is. It will be very exciting. Uh, kia ora, my name's Amanda Hiriaka, uh, Ngāti Tūwhare Tō Metiarua. Um, I'm the festival coordinator of Honouring Theatre, an indigenous, an international indigenous theatre festival taking place in Rotorua and Manukau.
So that's the theory. What about the practice? Last week I went to Papa Ioya, Palmerston North, where I caught a performance of the Māori offering for honouring theatre. He reo aroha. How did you find that? It was really, really wicked. Awesome show. So we've just seen a screening of He Reo Aroha. Um, what is it about it that you enjoyed? Um, it's especially love like just all the singing that they've, they've both got wicked voices. So. And yeah, it's just like a great story and like character changes and everything is just uh, really good. So. Is it what you'd yeah. expected? Um, I didn't know what I expected, but it was awesome. Oh, I didn't know what to expect either, to be honest with you. Cause, um, well, Have I'm, you ever seen anything like that before? No, I haven't. Um, I've only been over here like 18 months, so seeing that, and even though I didn't understand some of the Māori that they were speaking, it was it was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was quite deep in parts, and it brought you down with it and then brought you back up with it. It was great. Yeah, loved So it. what made you want to come tonight? Um, well, we're with the performing arts, so we come to a lot of the backstage shows, and we get to see lots of all sorts of different things. And... Um, yeah, it was great. So is that you guys sitting at the back and hooting up? No. I think it was it was this whanau was, over here, was wasn't it? Yeah. It was these guys over here. I'm just going to go see them. <laughs> was it you guys that were hooting up a storm in the background? All right. All right. All right. Kia ora. Kia ora. Koi ingoa. Uh, kia ora, Regan. Kia ora. So what, we're hooting because we enjoyed it or we're hooting because we know the actors? Uh, bit of both, really. Yeah? I, I enjoyed the show and I thought the music was awesome, but uh, all of my whanango are here and they didn't come to see my show. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, oh hell, Do you was, it, was it off pay week? <laughs> what the hell's going on? <laughs> off pay week, our sweet is. Come see the other fellow show. No, but, but tonight, oh, what are we, man? It was, it was sweet as, eh? It's like drinking nectar from a honey's balls. Don't quote me on that. But in Te Maori, it sounds nice. <laughs> honey's balls. Had you guys seen anything like that before? Oh, uh, no. It was absolutely amazing. Is it what you expected? No, it was very nice. It was very well done. So why was it amazing? It was the very actors. well done. Yeah, very well done, very well done. Actors were absolutely brilliant, beautiful voices, beautiful acting. You're going to be recommending it? Oh, yes, most definitely. <laughs> now, what about you, Weha? Do you know much about what, what else has been offered through, through the Honouring Theatre programme? Not, not, I mean, not uh, positive about that, but um, <laughs> what I saw tonight was, it was great. More than what you expected, but I would recommend to come and see it. Um, good to see the, um, the Māori face out there in the drama environment, so I, I would, have, would have reckoned it. Kia ora, he mihinui, kia koutou. Ko kaitahu te iwi, ko kātire kehu te hapu, ko te poho o tamatea te mauka, ko whakaropo te moana, ko rafaki me ngā marae maha o horomaka, ngā marae, so what first hooked you into music? I started writing um, some poetry and I think that's the that's always been my emphasis was um, actually on the, the lyrics and the stories inside the, the waiata and then um, yeah that just kind of I fell into uh, a music career from um, starting to write some songs. Um, I was at university down at Otago and uh, discovered uh, some Māori songwriters like Mahina Rangitoka mm. and 
um, other people like that um, who are doing kaupapa Māori music and I think that really inspired me to get into my own songwriting and um, a year or two later found some other musicians in Christchurch and um, just we started a group and it all went from there back in 1993 and really started. And what are the instruments that you can play? Um, well, I don't, um, I don't know if it's very common, but I generally don't play instruments when I'm singing. Like I sing and come up with melodies, but um, just recently I've started playing some taukapuro. Um, Which ones? Um, I, I play porotiti and kuowo, and I've got a little nuru that's um, quite a special little nuru um, made by Brian Flintoff, and he made it out of alabaster, which was a stone that came from Italy. And, um, yeah, so those are the main three that I perform with. But I'm always um, looking at extending those skills in those areas because I love our own instruments. So your first memory of music, listening to a radio, kicking back, listening to a record, what was it? We used to listen to quite a lot of mum's old records. She was really into those American bands like the Platters. Yeah, I used to sing along to a lot of those old <laughs> records. And I think when I was about four or five, we got a Wombles record for Christmas. <laughs> we used to be really into that. And Remember you're a Womble? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty inspiring. <laughs> so did your taste move on from there? Ariana, what was the first um, album you bought then? Um, well, being New Zealand Music Month, so it was actually a New Zealand record. <laughs> Moving on from the Wombles, it was um, the dance exponent. Woohoo! Press <laughs> to be answered. Was yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't quite remember the name, but yeah, yeah it's got that kind of real eighties cover mm. with little um, coloured boxes and. Well, yeah. well, they seemed quite international <laughs> by by our standards back then. He sort of Jordan Luck was singing in kind of a semi-British accent, and it seemed kind of you know quite cutting edge. <laughs> Can you remember any of the songs from it? Oh, what's that one? Victoria, that was my favourite um, one. You know, It's a good story, eh? Yeah. <laughs> washing up and doing the Ubering. <laughs> Another chap winged up who won't leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the first music video that you can remember? Um, yeah, I remember I was sitting in the lounge with my grandmother, and my grandmother was quite old by then. She died not long afterwards, and there was... Um, I think it was called Ready to Roll. It was on a Saturday yep. in the evening. And, um, yeah, it was a Kate Bush video. And she, she was inside this plastic bubble and she wasn't really wearing much. <laughs> I could just remember my grandmother sort of tut-tutting at that and thinking that it was pretty crazy sort of stuff. But I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> Can you remember what the song was? Um, oh, it might have been Babushka, but um, I can't remember. It was oh, my around God, that I remember time. that song. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so from Kate Bush back to you. Yeah. So when was the first time that you played in front of an audience? Um, well, yeah, I was in a group called Ponamu, and our first gig was in 1993, and I remember that quite clearly because uh, I only just started getting into music from sort of the songwriting um, phase. Yeah. So, yeah, I was quite nervous, but, uh, <laughs> but it all uh, went pretty well, and... 1993, eh? Where was it? Um, this was at the Folk Club in Christchurch. Um, they often move actual venues, but they've been going for quite a while now. We've got a nice supportive audience, I guess. But, but yeah. 
<laughs> so if you had to like devise your ultimate dream band, who would it be? Um, some of the people that I play with now, like um, I've got this amazing, uh, she's a Japanese keyboard player. Her name is Nana Kosato, and she's based here in Christchurch. Um, she's come through jazz school and now she teaches um, as well and plays. Um, and we've got this, uh, a Māori uh, bass player here called Brent Thompson. Um, I'd yeah, love to do some more work with Brent. Um, and also I play uh, with a young woman here called Ajin Montgomery Hinger. She plays percussion and Irish drum. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so those are some of the people that I play with now. Um Richard Nunn's and Horomona Horo on Porto. And um, yeah, I've got some some other people that come in from time to time doing poi and other instruments and BVs for me. Um, there's a, a group of our sisters from Christchurch, um, Serenity Thurla and Karuna, and um, got some other sisters that I've played with as well. Um, so yeah, mainly the people that I do sort of have a connection with now. But we, uh, when I was up at the Parihaka Festival, I got to um, play with Marka McGregor from um, Y, and he was pretty awesome to play with, so I'd love to do some more stuff with him. Do you find that you all naturally gravitate towards each other, Ariana? Um, because you're into the same kind of sounds, or the same co-papa? Yeah, I think so, um, and it's really interesting because we don't have so much of a pool of Māori musicians here, but the musicians that I do end up playing with, um, they somehow you know, can still connect to the music. And how do you find the audience responds? Yeah, it's really interesting because you know, we don't probably have such a Māori population here in terms of uh, in Christchurch or in the South Island. So I ended up having quite a lot of Pākehā come to my shows and and sometimes I get people crying and <laughs> hugging me at the mm. end and stuff. So that's quite interesting that they really connect. You know, They may not understand the kupu or, or the actual what I'm saying but they respond kind of to the the wider of the music and can be quite touched by it so it's always quite amazing sometimes I you know it's kind of freaky <laughs> as well after a show because well it's got responsibility eh yeah if you made somebody cry <laughs> yeah so you know generally I'm quite humbled by that what's been your most memorable gig then yeah way back when I was playing with Ponamu, it was our, it was kind of like a folk group, and there was, um, it ended up being a duo. But we did a bit of touring around the South Island mostly, and we did this amazing gig with a house concert over on the west coast, not far from uh, Punakaiki. And I think that was one of my favourite gigs of all time mm. because it was, it was all the locals came out. It would have been a big deal for Punakaiki Nita. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they um. The Fano gave us a, a little porphyry at the local high school in their Kapahaka group, and it was just lovely. And there were quite a few artists in the community, and they came out and they fed us really well. And at the end, we met some of the local Māori women were there, and they'd brought us um, some pounamu that they found in the river, and gave us that as a koha. So, yeah. Sue, what's your favourite way to Māori? Um, of I all think, time. Yeah, I think. Puriane has to be up there um, by here in New Melbourne. You hear a lot of different versions of it, but um, I just really love the the kaupapa of it and simple um, way. Yeah, and mm. the, the melody really 
get in the kupu. Um, yeah, it's, it's just really simple. Mm. I really, I think I, I like that kind of simplicity. Really. Do you try to emulate that in your own music? Well, yeah, I think you know, just when I write songs, it often is very, very simple, and um, I just play around with a melody that sticks in, in my head, and then I try and build on that with another counter melody, or it might turn into a chorus depending on what type of song I'm writing. But um, definitely, had a new album is no huge inspiration, really. Which leads me to. We'd like to hear you sing. <laughs> What's like a favourite line from a song? Yeah, I was singing a little bit from my song called Peninsula and the song I wrote for my tamariki. And their names are Matahana, which means shining face, and Tamatera, who's boy of the sun. <laughs> a little bit from that. I'm singing you to sleep. My heart, my soul in you I keep. Sun shining face, you're full of grace, Now you've just returned from a tour of the UK. Um, yeah, it was not such a tour. Like it was, uh, I had a residency based in London, um, so I spent about two weeks in London. Um, I did a couple of shows there. The first one was up at New Zealand House for um, the New Zealand Society, and. The other one was a, uh, a fundraiser for the Centre for New Zealand Studies, which is at the University of London, and they were kind of uh, hosting me when I was there. Um, and I got the funding through Tawaka Toy, through um, the Creative New Zealand funding to go and just explore um, the UK as a new market. And uh, so I did quite a bit of networking and really um, getting some connections over there for the future, really. Um, so it was a really awesome experience for me. I hadn't really done anything much overseas before, just uh, gauging, you know, where my music might fit in an international setting. Um, and I guess, you know, quite a few people have been over there, uh, like Wai and Wana, and, uh, you know, done really well on the world music um, circuit. So... You know, eventually I'd like to be doing some more things like that, but at the moment, um, with having young tamariki, I, mm. I can't really be touring um, the world <laughs> for months on end, so it was just a short trip. Um, Had you been there before, Ariana? Yeah, I'd been to London the last time back in 1992. I was part of a delegation that went across um, to uh, protest against the nuclear testing in the Pacific, and um, I'd did a little bit of music along the way for that, but uh, I've never been there for that specific purpose of promoting my music. So it was um, a real great opportunity for me. Um, and we also ended up going to Spain, and I met some Basque people there. Quite an eye-opener, really, as well, just seeing um, what they're doing with their language and revitalisation of their culture as well. So. And how did they respond to your music? Um, well, I wasn't really there to perform, so I did ended up doing one song. I was at um, a Basque music event, and the people that I was there with, the locals, um, introduced me and got me to do a way out <laughs> so, um, that was pretty cool to, to get to perform to them because I'd been listening to, to what they were doing. Um, they do a lot of improvisational singing there, and 
I was kind of trying to um, come up with something, but I didn't really feel confident sure. <laughs> to get out there and do that. So I did one of our fam, our Fano Waiata. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, that there'd be something that I'd like to do again is go back there and actually do some touring in Spain. Um, it's just really cool, just being part of a different culture for a few days and. Um, especially meeting the locals. It's really, um, you know, we weren't just tourists anymore. It's just um, actually getting to to know what a little bit about what they're doing there. So, did that time away feed into any creativity on your part? Um, I was probably too busy to actually come up with much in the way of new songs, but um, it did. Um, I guess it created a, a, a new space for me to probably, I've been, I've been you know, promoting my new album and stuff for the last couple of months, but um, from now on it'll be good to um, create some more space to start writing some new Waiata. Does it feel very satisfying having an album and seeing your name on it? Yeah, I'm really pleased with this particular album. and The cover um, is beautiful. Yeah, it's my, my good friend Jenny Rendell is the artist for, for that artwork um, on the front. It's a very pretty pink oh, it's um, just landscape. Mm. And, um, yeah, it is, I just feel quite proud of, of it as a, as a work um, as well. And um, it was quite an honour to work with Leighton, who was the producer for the album. Um, and I think we definitely would like to do some more work together in the future. And what's coming up next for you, Ariana? Yeah, I've got a couple of shows coming up um, for Matariki at the Christchurch Art Gallery. Um, and I've been recently working with Louise Portiki Bryant. Um, she's been creating some visuals for me and she did a music video for me as well for the um, title track from Tuya, available on my MySpace. People can view it there, but also I've sent it in some music channels. I'm not sure if they've played it yet, though. But um, so yeah, Louise is creating some visuals for live performance as well, so we're going to launch that um, on the 22nd of June at the Christchurch Art Gallery. Um, we're doing a couple of free lunch, um, shows that day um, at 11am, 2pm, and we're going to have a band as well as um, some people doing poi and various bits and pieces for that too so we're looking forward to that and also later on this year I've just been asked to perform at the Wearable Arts um, Awards in Wellington I'm going to spend a couple of weeks up there um, performing um, two of my waiata in the um, South Pacific um, kind of part of the evening so yeah so it's a real honour to, um, to be asked to do that as well so that's September, October. Uh, I've got a day job as well as a librarian, so it's all just fitting in. And you fit this all in yeah. between working, looking after your tamariki, yeah. <laughs> promoting an album, and singing and songwriting. That's a challenge. <laughs> but, um, you know, lots of whānau support allows me to be able to do that, I guess. Kia ora, my name is Ariana Tika. You can hear We'll see more about me on my MySpace, www.myspace.com forward slash Ariana Tika. It's A R I 
A-N-A-T-I-K-A-O. And um, we have our next show coming up on the 22nd of June, and that's at the Christchurch Art Gallery, uh, which is on Montreal Street in Christchurch. Um, and we've just I've just released a, my second solo album called Tuya, which should be available in the shops, or you can go to my MySpace as well. Ko Matariki te tohu o te tau. E rotu i tērā, ka pota mai a Matariki i mua te whitinga mai o tamanui te rā. Koera tonu te tohu, kāri i roa ka tīmata. E kia nei ko te tauhau Māori, enari e hara ko nga Māori anake kai te whakanui i tēnā. Ko nga tāngata o te moana nui a kiwa tērā, ko, nga, ko te iwi moimoia o ahitreiria tērā, ara ko nga tāngata hoki o Amerika ki te tonga tērā. Ko... Panikiri me hikurangi aku maunga, uh, ko te waikare tāheke me te waiapu aku awa, uh, ko waikare mōna te waituku kiri o nga mātua tipuna, ko Ngāitiru, Ngāti Rurihe, Ngāti Tāwhaki, Patu Heuheu, Ngāti Manawa, uh, Ngāti Hinekura, Ngāti Rua Paniki Waitare mōna, te aitanga mate me te awe mapara aku hapū, ko Ngāituhoi me Ngāti Parau aku iwi, ko Hautinei, ko Irana Hemingson. Kia ora no Irana. I'm Maraia Rakuraku. We've got a little bit of something special to close Te Ahikā this week. Here are the kids from Newtown School with Te Papa staff, Irana Hemingson and Julie Noa Noa. Waiti, waita, waipunarangi, kapaik, tupua nuku, tupua rangi, ururangi e toru fa. Tupua nuku, tupua rangi, ururangi e. He mihi mahana ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Hoki mai anoa tērā wiki i te iwi. Mai te ahikā ki a tātou katoa, Māori ora. O matariki, nga whetu e piatata i te rangi e toru fa. Nā whetu e piatata i te rangi e. Kā pai, kia whakamahi te katoa. Waiti toru fa. Waiti waita waipun.